Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Be warned, there are small black cubes around. And spoilers. We have two lives, real life and doctor life. I feel like real life gets much of a look in. What do we do? Choose. Today, though. Nah, not Every time we throw away with the doctor, we just become part of his life. But he never stood so long enough Welcome to become part to of the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Yes, we got the intro right today. <laughs> And if I'm responsible for last week's intro, no, I wouldn't throw him under the bus. It's Mr. Dave AC. Hello, Dave. Yeah, I'm sorry, I've got all black paint on my hands. I've been painting my Rubik Cube black. It's a lot <laughs> easier to solve the puzzle, I'll tell you. <laughs> yes, I, I discovered something unusual. I, for those of you who realize that uh, my, my little spoiler intros have had uh, a, a music bit under them, usually relating some way to the episode. This one I actually made myself this week uh, with an auto wrapper. But uh, I was trying to find cube music. And I did not realize that they made a cartoon based on the Rubik's Cube. Oh, I Rubik's. used to watch it when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, dear. I don't need to see that again. <laughs> anyway, on, on with the show and let's, let's see who's joining us today. On the collective today on audio, welcome to the show, Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Greetings. So, this is the famous Boxing Day that we hear so much about in America, but never see. <laughs> Lots of little boxes. Glad you could make a long sale. <laughs> also joining us on your audio is, I think he's here in mind, body, and probably spirit, it's Mr. Gar Skeptical. Hello, sir. Can we hurry this process along? I really need to get into this box. Of, oh, wait a minute, that's not really nice. <laughs> anyway, hello, how are you? <laughs> good, thank you, sir. Very good. All right, also joining us, Harry G is here. Hello. Hello. Welcome along. Oh, also, Happy he's on. just come on audio. It's Mr. Randall Thor. Oh, my cube over here keeps playing annoying music. It won't stop. <laughs> Mike. Mike Cube? I see. <laughs> Is it like Brian Slog? Oh, boy. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. All right, also, joining us on audio, it's Jeff, the Seventh Doctor. Hello, sir. 
Hello, Ian. How are you today, sir? Oh, not too bad. Just, uh, you know, boxing clever. Yeah, there you go. I'm running out of ones. Uh, I've got a little box over here with them. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> joining, also joining us is Mr. Tim Jury. Hello, Tim. Hello, Ian. I'm, I'm, I'm out of practice at this whole unmuting business. What you get when you take a few weeks off appearing on this show. Yep, there you go. Got to stay in, in, got to stay in shape for the collective. Hmm. All right, down to the phone lines. Let's see who's phoned in. Now, Kindar is here. Hello, sir. Hello, Ron. And I don't have anything funny to say about boxes because I'm tired of dodging them on the road. Aha. Uh-huh. ba <laughs> Yeah, that one hit the windshield. <laughs> Ouch. Yes, exactly. And lastly, but not leastly, on the phones, it's Mr. Cuddly Ken. How much for that doggy and the cube in the window? I don't know. <laughs> well, you're in your cubist period today, I think. There you go. <laughs> uh, All right. I... Well, <laughs> it's time to wheel out the... Uh, of silence. Let's see who's joining us in the next The Cuba. The Cuba. Control. New agent training program. Section 3.5. The Cone of Silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the Cone of Silence. What? Do not shout in the Cone of Silence. What? In fact, don't even use the Cone of Silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The Portable Cone of Silence. What? All right, Dave. The Cube of Silence. <sighs> Should put the cone on you. Oh, wait. <laughs> joining us under the cone, probably Time Lords here. Carp Blanche is joining us. Enterprise, who is here? And last but certainly not least, Cybob is here. Hello, sir. All right. Well, without any further ado, I mean, as we as we do on these uh, shows, we're skipping the news. We might have a bit of a bit of a news thing at the end, depending on how time allows. Um, but yeah, without any further ado, it's over to Dave, and we're going to get started on our review of this episode of Doctor Who. Yes, and it's spoilers, of course, all the way through this episode. I'll put the wiki page link in again, but let's start off before we go to Ken with our first little clip. We have two lives. What do we do? Choose. Dad. Half past six in the morning. What are you doing lying around? Haven't you seen them? What are they? Nobody knows. They're everywhere. Well, where have they come from? Doctor. Invasion of the very small cubes. That's new. World leaders are appealing for calm. The global appearance of millions of small cubes. Despite official warning. Why are they here? Well, they're certainly not random space debris. They're too perfectly formed for that. Are they extraterrestrial in origin? Well, you'll have to ask a better man than me. Yeah, unfortunately, Perry G wasn't available for that little, uh, nice little clip, but uh, <laughs> they got the next best thing in there with Brian Cox. So. Let's go to uh, Ken, please, who's going to start us off. All right. Well, we had another episode of Doctor Who, and we're continuing our standalone episodes for the short season, which I think is a very good thing. And I think that the power of three 
was a nearly perfect episode up until about the last 15 minutes when it crashes and burns. And I'll get to that in a bit. But it begins with a mystery, with narration. All of the episodes this season begin with a narration, so we have a, a linking point there. And we have a bit of a different visual with our opening credits. Each episode seems to have a different color palette and a bit of different tweaking. I, I rather like this one. It wasn't the kind of strange kitty color that we had with Asylum of the Daleks. So I don't know if there's any purpose to this, but I, I know that the um, Seventh Doctor, Jeff, posted this, beautifully done, I might add, and which we got to compare them all. And uh, it was very striking. Well, we have boxes falling from the sky, like gifts from heaven. And we start the beginning of the slow invasion, as it's referred to, the year that the doctor stayed for dinner and stayed and stayed and stayed. So it's we're really getting pond life finally. We're getting introspection and characterization that we've really wanted all along. We get to see Rory and Amy doing the small things that uh, make up their lives. And we get the conflict. Real life or life with the doctor. You know, once once you've been to Oz, it's really hard to stay put in Kansas. And that's the dilemma facing the two of them. And the doctor is going stir-crazy trying to solve this mystery of what are these little black cubes doing all over the world? They're dormant. No testing uh, is helping at all. And in the midst of this misery, uh, the mystery, armed soldiers crash through the door of the pond's house, and a woman enters, and she introduces herself as Kate Stewart. She's the new head of unit. Well, She's a very likable character, uh, very forthright, and she's made a lot of interesting scientific changes to UNIT, um, rather an homage of the Doctor, and we find some mysteries later. Um, this is fantastic in the episode. This is Alistair Lethbridge Stewart's daughter, and my eyes are misting up. This was handled so beautifully. And we get a Redgrave uh, playing the Briggs daughter. So for old-time fans, this is something I treasure. She, she wasn't used a lot in the episode, but beautifully done. We, uh, we get uh, a Lethbridge-Stewart kissing the doctor by the end of the episode, which is a wonderful, great thing. Now, the episode is wrapped up into this mystery. You know, what is causing this? And this is a throwback in feeling of an episode in a good way to the RTD days. This is a universal threat. We see projections on the TV again, news reporters talking about how, how London and the world is gripped with, with this mystery. People have taken these cubes into their lives every day like we take our iPads, our computers, our new Apple phones, you know, um, the same thing. It, 
becomes just part of our lives. Well, this is this is the mystery of the episode and the conflict of do the pawns need the doctor or does the doctor really need the pawns? And into this mix, we have returning uh, Mark Williams playing Brian, Rory's dad. Now, this is such a joyful thing. I have nice reminiscences of Bernard Cribbins and his performances, Wilf, um, what Mark Williams is doing with this character. And he's beautifully essayed. He's really kind of cracking smart and very funny. And what a great addition to the show. Again, a little too late. We're going to, um, in the inevitability coming uh, with the characters saying goodbye, this this is not, um, you know, what we, we could have had. We could have had more of these characters sooner. That would have been nice. But on to the, the whole crux of the story. Uh, we get the doctor saying how important that Amy and Roy are to him that Amy was the first person that he saw with his new eyes after he regenerated. And these are beautiful scenes with Karen Gillian. I mean, these are just wonderful. It makes me really love again this character and Link to uh, little Amelia Pond, who we, who we met back in uh, the 11th hour. So it's, it's kind of a nice circular thing. Now, the problem with the episode, when we finally get the mystery solved and we get to the villain, played by the brilliant Stephen Burkoff, who's only on screen for about maybe two and a half minutes, we get a very fast resolution. This is a threat that's uh, used to terrify children in mythology from ancient Gallifrey. Uh, It's to take the tally of Earth and one-third of humanity suffers coronary arrest because of these, these cubes that have snuck into our lives. Terrifying, horrible outcome to this episode, and the doctor solves it in about a minute and a half with a wave of his magic sonic screwdriver. Now, it's not how it was done exactly with using the cubes to reverse the evil that they did, it was this literally God from the machine, which the doctor is, doing it with a snap of his fingers. It takes all the drama out of it. This episode really needed about 10 or 15 minutes more or to be a two-parter. We could have fleshed out the character of Kate Lethbridge-Stewart more. We could have gotten a little bit more of uh, the life of Amy and Rory. We could have gotten more of uh, the villainy of the uh, character Shakiri, played by Stephen Burkhoff, and that would have really made it a perfect episode. Um, written by Chris Chibnall, with some really effective, touching character uh, bits. Uh, directed by Douglas McKinnon, who did some uh, episodes, I think the first three episodes of Jekyll, and he's no stranger to who. He worked on the RTD-era two-parters, the Sonturan Stratagem and Poison Sky. And it had that really good feeling 
that I've missed in the series of the RTD days of the universal threat. I like the differences, but it's it's really a comfortable feeling seeing this. Um, Matt Smith was brilliant in this episode. Again, he gets better and better. Um, I'm probably just going to lose it next week um, when we know that the pawns are uh, saying goodbye. And um, out of five TARDIS groans, I would give it three and a half. I'm knocking it down one because of the fast resolution. But really good. I, I like, again, that these are self-contained with uh, arcing elements, but you're not getting crazy with continuity. Um, the potential of the episode was better than the payoff, but it was a great ride. Really good. And that's what I have to say. Thank you. Okay. Thank you again, indeed. Uh, well, I'll play a second clip, and then we're going to go to Kinder. What if they're bombs? Billions of tiny bombs. Or transport capsules, maybe, with a mini-robot inside. Or deadly hard drives. Or alien eggs. Or messages needing decoding. Or they're all parts of a bigger whole. Doctor, is this an alien invasion? Because that's what it feels like. Right, I need to use your kitchen as a lab. Cook up some food. See what happens. Area will be secure in 60 seconds. Ultimate force available. No way from network. You think it's been 10 years? Not for you, or Earth, but for us. 10 years older, 10 years of you. Look at you now. All grown up. Kitchen secured. Trap free, thank God, secured. There are soldiers all over my house, and I'm in my pants. Sorry about the raucous entrance. Spike in Arctron energy reading at this address. In the light of the last 24 hours, we had to check it out. Hello. Kate Stewart, Head of Scientific Research at UNIT. And with dress sense like that... You must be the doctor. Yeah. Why did Rory have to say he was in his pants? That's terrible. At least it wasn't should be underpants. Pants. Yeah, but it should be underpants. I mean, the UK here, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, Kindar. All right. Um, right from the top, this was a fun episode. I love that we see that the doctor can't stand still. This is a man who sees the entire universe in the blink of an eye when he wants to. This is a guy who runs across the world, across time. And when he tries to stand still, it's almost the biggest fight of his life. He, he has no sense of calming down. Everything's always rush, rush, rush. And what I find interesting is that I believe that the only other doctor where we really got that sense of constant momentum was Tom Baker. I don't really remember any of the other ones that really gave us the sense that he couldn't stand still. He always had to move. He always had to go on to the next adventure, to the next crisis and that when he tried to stop, it just wasn't working. Um, I also love that we, yeah, we finally got to see pond life, that, you know, that things are quiet for them, that they are 
balance, not balancing, but uh, seesawing back and forth from this high adventure to then this peace and calm, and that they, you get a feel, you know, even though they say that, no, they're not stopping, you do get a feel that they are aiming for that. And actually, I think you get the biggest uh, warning that is coming when the doctor tells them that, that they're planning on stopping. I think that even people who don't know that uh, they are leaving uh, at some point, that this is a, bit, a big foreshadowing. Um, I, I love that we get uh, Ledger Stewart back. Uh, I, and also, when I realized who she was, I, I got a lump in my throat. Um, I, and I honestly didn't think... I, I was surprised of my own reaction to it because... I was not a big Leftbridge Stewart fan. I mean, he, I like the character and all that, but he was not. When they brought him back in the Sarah Jane adventure, uh, it didn't really affect me. So, but and, and then to have her show up and then to realize who she is, and it, you know, I got a lump in my throat. I went, I, I went, oh my god, this, you know, you know, the, the Leftbridge Stewarts are back. They're in charge of uh, unit. That's where they belong, and. I hope we're going to see her again. I really hope that this is not, you know, one of those things that, you know, we see her now and we're not going to see her till the last finale of the, the season where, you know, the, the humongous crisis and he needs all his allies for one last time. I really hope that, you know, she's going to be popping in more often. And that's about it. I really don't have anything bad to say about the episode. I mean, I... I'm not very critical of Doctor Who. I like it for what it is, and this one was actually very enjoyable. Excellent. Okay. Uh, in the just, chat. You can't distract us. You can't do two things at once. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. And the power of three is beyond me, certainly. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll be going to Darth uh, next, but let's uh, play a little clip. To the end of a week of cubic questions and theories, but no answers. Could this be the greatest stealth marketing campaign in business history? And if it is, will those behind it ever come forward and explain exactly what it's for? <laughs> I'm so pleased for you two. It's about time you made an honest woman of it. Amy, about bridesmaids, mm. you've missed quite a few things the last year or two. I'm so totally there. Whatever you need. Everyone here loves you, the nurses, the doctors. You're a lifesaver, mate, literally. <laughs> uh, well, thanks. But there are months when we don't see you. And we can't do without you. I want you to go full-time. Full-time? Try me. Uh, I said yes. I committed. And I committed to being a bridesmaid. Months in advance. Like, I know I'm going to be here. So, the doctors, God knows where. The cubes aren't doing anything at all. Did real life just get started? I like it. So do I. And there we go. Uh, Darth, let's go to you, please. Alrighty, if we must. Uh, yeah, I love this thing. I think it is uh, the strongest episode of the series so far. By series, I mean, of course, Series 7, not Doctor Who. Um, and it, it grabbed me from the very beginning. The thing is, 
it's obviously the Christmas invasion done again, and we've seen with the Silence of the Daleks that that was basically Silence of the Library done again. And for some reason, this bugs me less, perhaps because I have very fond memories of Christmas invasion and think that it's a fairly perfectly pitched, um, you know, invasion of Earth story. I am not at all bothered by uh, what uh, Ken's brought up here of how easy it is to unravel the mystery at the at the end of the episode because that's what happens in Christmas Invasion. There's a big red button. The Doctor pushes it. End of crisis. A third of the population is going to be destroyed. They go to the Tower of London uh, where they encounter a unit and they come up with a solution to the problem. And it's, you know, it really is in, in very many details quite exactly like um, the uh, Christmas Invasion. But Christmas Invasion is so wonderful that's fine. And I, and I was actually quite thrilled to see that they went back to the Tower of London because it's, you know, at this point, it's continuity to do that. Um, and, and it's not really a, an exact ripoff because we are talking about a story that now is incredibly almost six years old. Um, and, and that blows my mind to think that Christmas Invasion is six years old, but it is. So therefore, you know, it is somewhat heartening in a way to see Moffat leading a team to this kind of RTD emulation or RTD homage is what it is. It's an, it is RTD homage. Um, and I love that. I thought, I, you know, as soon as they started doing all the little news anchor spots, I was like, oh, so we're doing this. We're telling this story in that way. And it was great that they did that. Um, interestingly, though, Douglas McKinnon, who, of course, is the director, his last story for Doctor Who was, of course, that Suntarn two-parter. And in that episode, I thought it was just overuse to have that. But it's been so long since we've had that, you know, going around to various news outlets to get some exposition trope that it felt like a welcome return to something rather than... Um, what it was back in series four, where it was just you know one time too many. Um, I I thought you know that the mystery was creepy. It was satisfying in the way that it was it built up, um, and you know that it ended in the wave of a sonic screwdriver really didn't bother me at all, because if you don't have a story there. If you don't have any narrative time invested in how the cubes came to Earth in the first place, then the fact that they get waved away is, you know, only equal to the way in which they were brought forward. Um, basically, you have gods at play here. You know, you have the gods of the uh, whatever they were, the chakra, and you have the the gods, the time lords squaring off against each other and doing things that are hopelessly beyond our comprehension anyway. So all that you need to know is the Doctor found a problem and the Doctor solved it. Because that's not what the episode is about. The episode is quite clearly about finally giving some definition to the pawns. And it did it very well. And it actually managed to make uh, Amy palatable. And it also made her, you know... It made her sympathetic. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting because every once in a while, 
especially in the modern era, well, actually almost entirely in the modern era, you'll get a writer who hits on something very succinctly that gives definition to the doctor, that really gives us something profound to think about. You know, so like in a school reunion, right, you get Toby Withouse there making the observation that the doctor lives far longer than his companions. So it's not just a matter of, you know, he has to occasionally drop them off because he gets bored with them. He drops them off because he can't live the rest of his life with them. And that, that observation had never really been made very well in the old series. And it was just such a startling thing. It's one of the, the core principles of, that, of the modern era. You know, it became a meme that we're, you know, seeing even now. And then you have, you know, the uh, the old Ed Thomas um, observation that Russell T. Davies stole of if it's a six-sided TARDIS, that means that there must be a pilot for each one of the uh, six sides. And therefore, the reason that the doctor can't pilot it is he's five men short, which is just a gorgeous observation of something that is in plain sight. And I think what you have in this episode is the, is the wonderful stuff by Chibnall of, um, you know, the reason that Amy is so important is she was the first person that the newly regenerated doctor saw. And if you really think about it, and you go back through time and look at who was around when there was a regeneration, it makes a lot of sense, you know. Um, sometimes you don't see it until later stories, but like, you know, there's a wonderful Companion Chronicles audio of, uh, it's called Resistance, and it's about the second Doctor and Polly and uh, Jamie and Ben going back to the French Resistance in World War II. And, and during that episode, Polly and the Doctor spend much more time together than the two guys. And you find out, you know, just exactly how important Polly is because Polly believed in the doctor when he regenerated and instantly saw, yes, this is the doctor, whereas Ben was more skeptical about it. And you certainly see, you know, that Sarah Jane Smith seems to be very important to the fourth doctor, that, um, you know, Rose is clearly important to the tenth doctor. Um, and, it, and it starts to make a lot of sense. And it's, it's just such a keen little observation. And it does a lot for me in terms of, understanding why in the world the 11th Doctor would have stuck with Amy more than a season. Um, it, it gives something. You know, because I, Stephen Moffat didn't give us that much. Um, and, and I think a lot of us have been racking our brains as to why in the world this Amy character has been around as long as she has because she doesn't been very narratively useful. But if you get a little moment like this, it, it helps to paper over the cracks, as it were. It's, as you know, Ken said, it's, it's way too late. Uh, all this should have been happening in Series 5, but nevertheless, it's something, and it does improve the situation. I think also you got um, just some wonderful moments, and I, I don't normally go over the top with the phrase of Matt Smith's acting because it's good but I don't really like the interpretation as much as I could like the interpretation. But there were some moments here where you had um, him explaining to Brian Williams about what happens to companions as 
they go through time. And, you know, some of them leave, some of them die. And when it gets to the, the thing about some of them dying, Matt Smith is really quite tremendous in the way that he delivers that line. And the, uh, the, the lighting here on him, if you go back and look at it, he looks ancient when he admits that people die traveling with him. I mean, absolutely ancient. As compared to, you know, that lovely moment um, that Kendar was talking about of the doctor not being able to sit still and so therefore, you know, he goes out and plays soccer and paints a fence and does all that crazy stuff. You know, and in that scene, of course, he looks, you know, eternally young. But in this other scene, he just looks old as dirt. And there, there are a number of little scenes like that where the the thought of being pulled away from Amy and Rory really registers on Matt Smith's face. And, you know, there's a scene in the TARDIS where they decide not to travel with him, and he looks devastated. But it's it's not just him. It's also the lighting that's being done here and, you know, the, the careful way that the camera is moving that, that helps to sell his fatigue in those scenes. And it's really quite tremendous stuff. I think we also got some interesting work by, and I guess this is, you know, where you get the director and the editor hand in hand, but you got some really cool scene transitions here that I don't think we've seen in Doctor Who before, but are, you know, not commonplace, but certainly are not, uh, have been seen in broader television where you get these, um, it's not a wipe, it's not a fade, it's sort of a trick um, it's like a window shutter thing, sort of, uh, or, you know, an old fan or whatever. It, some some nice transition that gives some kinetic energy to the motion of transition, which I think helped the story a lot as you're talking about the um, the passage of time and it felt like a, a calendar was actually being flipped through. And I thought that was a really effective scene transitioning that... You know, again, you don't really see, you don't really think about scene transition that much in Doctor Who, but I think in this episode it was great that uh, they went through that. And you know, this whole thing of Kate Stewart, I mean, fabulous. And as we know, I'm not really that big of a fan of the Brigadier, but what's really cool here about this thing is, first of all, we should never, you know, as a I really do not still to this day like the the Brigadier mention in the um, Wedding of River Song. I think it makes no sense. It's just out of left field. It's acted well, but my God, it just it still to this day bugs me. If this had been the first mention of the Brigadier after Nicholas Courtney's death, I think this would be much more effective. It was still very effective, but I think it would have been even more effective if if you know. This was the first time that the Brigadier's name had gotten mentioned by Matt Smith. I would have been much happier. Um, and I think cleverly here, obviously the performance of Jim Redgrave is, you know, out of the park. It's great. But, of course, this is a character. This is not the first time that this character has been around. This is an old character uh, that was actually created by Mark Platt for the um, video called Downtime, which is... Um, or was it? It's either a real-time pictures or a B, I think it's a BBV uh, Bill Bags video. Um, that was made 1995 or something like that. And then Gary Russell picked up the character in what's it called? Scales of Injustice. 
by the way, that's episode five of the Doctor Who Book Club podcast. If you want to go figure out more about the scales of injustice, where the character of Kate uh, Lethbridge Stewart is talked about in some detail, um, as she's only about eight years old at the time, and the situation surrounding the Brigadier's divorce of his wife and Kate's mother Fiona, and you know what exactly Kate knew about about unit at that early age really makes for fascinating stuff given that we now know Kate Stewart becomes the head of unit. Um, her childhood really trauma and turmoil at, at having a father who was in unit is quite amplified, uh, you know, by what's going on here in the power three. But anyway, the point is in downtime, this character has been played on video before and the originating actor is uh, Beverly Cressman. And if you look at Beverly Cressman in that video and then compare it to Kate Stewart, it's amazing. I mean, they seriously, Jimma Redgrave looks like an older version of Beverly Cressman. Now, whether Andy Pryor did that intentionally, whether he actually bothered to get the tape of downtime, which is not easy to find these days, though I would imagine that probably Stephen Moffat has a copy somewhere in his house. Um, and maybe Chris Chibnall, too, for that matter. But the fact that they bothered to do a physical match of somebody on that um, old video that I'm pretty sure has never even been released on DVD. It might have been, but I don't know. Darcy, yeah, um, just, just, to, just for people listening along yeah. uh, later, too, I just put a link to uh, the TARDIS wiki, which also has a picture. And I put the link to the picture in there, and you're damn right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, right? I mean, it's totally crazy. That they would have gone to, I mean, you know, what are you going to do if you cast a red grave? You are going to get that color of hair, you know, probably. But but still, it's not just the color of the hair. It's it's the facial structure. It's the whole oh, thing. Yeah. It's very it visually is, similar. It is weird. Um, so, uh, you know, whether he did it intentionally or not, I don't know. But hats off to Andy Pryor for not only casting a fabulous actor, but actually taking time to sort of respect or at least not offend old continuity. This is this is really quite a weird little moment here where you don't expect this, you know, given what happened in Asylum of the Daleks and the, the continuity tragedy that that was, to have this instance of, you know, high continuity fidelity is kind of ridiculous. But it's an interesting point from this episode that uh, bears mentioning, I suppose. Um, just overall, the thing is, this episode has finally done something with these the characters of Amy and Roy that they really should have been doing all along. And the, the tragedy of a great episode like this is, as Jeff's, um, as uh, Ken said, you really long for the character of Brian Williams to have been included much earlier. Like, honestly, you, you realize, okay, fine, Amy's parents, you know, were a part of the their disappearance was a whole part of the mystery of Series 5, but there's no reason in the world why we couldn't have had, you know, Rory's parent along for the ride, especially last season when Rory was full-time. Uh, and and that would have just, you know, both appearances that he's made has amplified something about the, uh, oddly more about Amy, I think, than about his son. But it's just such a great character. This, this the Moffat era... 
people deride the RTD era for including home life, including characters like Jackie, like you know Martha's mom, like Sylvia, Noble. Um, but the thing about it is, it, it grounds the series and it gives you something to judge the the main character against. If you see where somebody comes from, then you can decide what kind of person they are. The fact that we've not had any voice like that until now, until the penultimate episode, really, um, with Amy is a part of the reason that character is, is so disconnected to, I think, a lot of viewers. Um, and, and why that character becomes a matter, or why liking that character largely becomes a matter of liking her physical qualities as opposed to liking her as an individual. Um, whereas Brian Williams makes her instantly likable because he seems a decent guy. He's vouching for her in a lot of ways, um, certainly in Dinosaurs and in the Spaceship. And, and here, you know, he's more of a quiet presence, but nevertheless quite nobly anchored. Um, so because you've got a character that is of the quality of Brian Williams vouching for her, you instantly kind of like her too. And I mean, just the things that I thought about while I was watching this episode, I mean, the things they could have done with Brian Williams, you know, he could have been there when Amy was treating his son like crap. And there could have been some really nice father-son moments there where he helps her, de- he helps his son decide whether Amy is worth it, which would have been great for storytelling. You know, or, you know, the whole thing of trying to keep quiet exactly how they were traveling or what they were traveling to and all that. That could have been some some great stuff that you could have peppered throughout Series 5 and 6. Um, but what's what's amazing to me about this episode is that finally, I in this one episode, I like the character of Amy. And I, I find that refreshing and it was something I was... Hoping for. I mean, I liked her a little more in Series 6 and Series 5, but to finally just say in an episode, you know what, I really like that character. And I, and I loved all that stuff. You know, the conversation that she has with the Doctor on the, uh, I guess it would be Tim's side, um, was just knockout. I mean, finally the character of Amy was actually giving some definition to the character of the Doctor. Rose was always giving definition. Martha certainly gave definition. And Donna gave definition to the character of the Doctor. But I don't think that, by and large, Amy has ever plausibly given definition to the Doctor. But here, you know, there's a real core emotional moment. And she not only delivers it well, that is to say Karen Gillan, but but also it, it makes a difference in our understanding of who the Doctor is as a person. And, you know, his relationship to these two particular people. And, it, and it's great that we finally get something more. So, just to my mind, again, best episode of the series so far. Not at all problematic that there's, you know, a, a little bit of a uh, magic wand at the end. Because that's really what Doctor Who largely is anyway. Um, there's not, as opposed to Asylum of the Daleks, which has actual plot holes... And so, therefore, you know, I'm not going to let that thing come up for air at all because, you know, it's one thing to have hand-waving at the end. It's another thing to have things that actively don't make sense within the episode. So it's nice to have an episode whose biggest flaw is, well, that was kind of easy at the end because then you realize that's not what the episode is about. It's about the emotional journey that the characters go through. And, And this is the best emotional journey in an episode of Moffat Doctor Who. 
um, for these three characters as a whole. So, it, for me, a totally aptly named episode, it really was The Power of Three. All right. Well, it's obviously not the power of three. You just just said all my stuff. Thanks, Darth. That's all I I was just going to say I'm shooting nil for four here because I I can never predict which which opinion that Darth is going to have, which is great. Uh, I was like listening to it, but always has ever reasoned well. Uh, I'll play another clip and then we'll go to Benjamin, who's back with us and. um, we were going to go to Mike, but Mike's got uh, background noise at his end, so we're going to Benjamin and then Jeff after that. But uh, let's play another clip. Hey, uh, Doctor, it's me. Hello. Uh, so, uh, the UN classified the cubes as provisionally safe, whatever that means. And uh, Banksy and Damien Hurst put out statements saying the cubes have nothing to do with them. And the cubes, well, they're just here still. What's it been? Nine months? People are just taking them for granted. Maybe we'll never know where they came, but uh, anyway. I got to Laura's wedding. It was great. How long were they away? I don't know what you're talking about, Brian. Because they're wearing totally different clothes from earlier. Seven weeks. What happened to the other people who travelled with you? Some left me. Some got left behind. And some... Not many, but... Some died. Not them. Not them, Brian. Brian's log. Day 361. No movement. <laughs> Do it again. Civilization saved. Surfaces wiped. What more could any woman ask for? I mean it. Out of idea, I'm trying to... Whatever you are. This planet, these people are precious to me. And I will defend them to my last breath. Yeah, and as well as Brian's log getting a mention, uh, Banksy and Hurst, of course, we're talking about the Damien Hurst and Banksy, who's a, I think he's a street artist, a graffiti artist, uh, just in case there was anybody not in the UK that didn't know that. Um, okay, let's go to Benjamin. Good to have you back, Benjamin. Ah, good to be back. Do you know how frustrating it is when you're reading a newspaper article and suddenly a episode of EastEnders breaks out in the middle of it on the printed page? I'll get back to that. <laughs> you know, it was a bit interesting last night because I, I watched it on BBC America, you know, support the American domestic broadcast of the episode because we want legal stuff, and we want all sorts of legal stuff available all right away. <laughs> I enjoyed the episode, but it was a bit <laughs> interesting trying to watch it on our network. Because uh, a few minutes in, I think while Professor Brian Cox was talking, uh, you know, um, you, you if you've watched a BBC America broadcast, you know that they tend to have... The BBC America logo in the bottom right corner of the screen. They have the Doctor Who logo in one part of the screen. And sometimes they break out with uh, notifications of upcoming stuff on BBC America in the bottom left of the screen. And it's very irritating. Well, this time, instead of a notification for an upcoming BBC America program, a Liberty Mutual Insurance logo 
popped up in the bottom left of the screen. And then after that, that was followed up by a text ad about Liberty Mutual Insurance. Now, this was the 9 p.m. Eastern Time broadcast. I don't know about the later repeats. But on the first broadcast, we had a commercial for Liberty Mutual during the montage of scenes with various folks chatting about the cubes. I... I got a bit livid at that point. <laughs> I, posted on, I posted my opinion about that on Twitter. Um, it's That was really frustrating. And also, because of the shortness of the episode, the network didn't seem to know where to put commercial breaks. So we were getting commercial breaks at even more random spots than usual. They it did end the episode three minutes early because I guess they figured they couldn't put 19 minutes of commercials in one hour. People would talk. So they actually began the repeats of another show three minutes early. Is this the shortest on-air episode that we've had since? Um, well, what short? What was short? I think it was forty-one minutes. This was that something. Forty-two. Yeah, forty-two. 42 was yeah. It? we're up against the Lodger and the Empty Child now in length on that. Those. We did have one interesting thing in the ads, because um, BBC America is going to repeat the series Hex, which they aired a number of years ago. And I think, they're, I think they think they can grab a fresh audience right now. They just launched in HD, and the ads are focused on Michael Fassbender, presumably because of his role in Prometheus. And of course, hearing Michael Fassbender, you think of Prometheus, ah yes, uh, you have... Uh, um, Liz Shaw. So you think that, and then you go, hang on a minute. We're seeing this ad in a segment right after the doctor, one of the doctor's heart stops beating. And in the first season of Hex, the the lead is the girl who was the witch in the Shakespeare Code who stopped the tenth doctor's heart. So it was a bit of a surreal experience there. Because you have the doctor tramping around trying to cope with one heart on the, in the show, and then the commercial you're seeing the person who was the last character to stop the doctor's heart. Well, at least they didn't have a, a, an advert for the uh, the Doctor Who movie. Uh, yeah, one BBC heart. America thinks that movie's far too old and creaky. They'd rather air the 1981 uh, Clash of the Titans for modern edgy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said overall, I I did like the episode, especially when you can look past BBC America's presentation of it, <laughs> and so it did feel like it was a bit of an homage to the RTD era. And certainly, enough time has passed that you really can do a good uh, homage to that era without it feeling like yet another RTD story. I think. Uh, Darth did a very good job of describing how it feels good having it now as opposed to feeling like we're getting the same points again and again, like it occasionally did around 08 and 09. And I did. I liked the characters. I liked the mystery of the boxes. I liked the little tricks they did with the boxes. The boxes were neat. It'd be fun to see the boxes again. And since the boxes, and since this... Um, Creatures are supposedly part of Time Lord nightmares. I did notice these black boxes 
looked suspiciously similar to the white message box that Time Lords make to send off emergency messages. And I'm wondering if there's meant to be a link there. And since since the episode had a very sudden ending, and it felt like the villains just got knocked away, but they didn't actually get punished or anything, you could easily see them come back and try again, because in their minds, the episode's not over. And I think if they did come back to fill out the story and fill out the stuff that seemed rushed, I'd like to know, is there a link in the boxes? Is there a link in the type of species? And after all, the Doctor Who's liked to play on the white-black motif before. Black boxes, white boxes. It just strikes me as a way that you could build on the universe and build on the stories. So, I did. it did feel a bit rushed at the end. I do wonder if they cut some scenes. But overall, I liked it. I hope that there's follow-up later to flesh out some points. And... It is six days till the end of the Pond Williams era. Handkerchiefs if you're sad, uh, celebration uh, kazoos if you're happy. Back to you. <laughs> okay, Benjamin, thanks very much. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll have another shortest clip this time and then we'll go to Jeff. This is the latest. Oh dear. This is recent. The Pentagon, China, every African nation, the East. I've got government screaming for explanations and no idea what to tell them. I'm, I'm lost, Doctor. We all are. Don't despair, Kate. Your dad never did. Kate Stewart, heading up unit, changing the way they work. How could you not be? Why did you drop Lethbridge? I didn't want any favours. Though he guided me, even to the end. Science leads, he always told me. Said he'd learnt that from an old friend. We don't let him down. We don't let this planet down. Okay, and I'm sorry, we've, we've lost Kobo. If uh, it put in that he couldn't stay, we would have gone to him earlier. But um, we'll go to Jeff. I am wondering if we're getting some timey-wimeyness here. Because if you recall from last week, uh, last week's story... Uh, a town called Mercy. There was a short sequence in that in which um, they were talking about, was it Richard VIII and losing a phone charger there? Well, we get that scene in this story, or so it seems. Mm. And I also wonder about um, dinosaurs on a spaceship because the doctor knew Rory's dad's name. Is it because he actually met him before in this story? I'm not sure. There's something going on there, and I'm hoping um, we'll see some resolution to that maybe next week. I, do, you I want to... order, do you think the running order has been changed, do you mean? Do you think that this might have been scheduled to go before those, and they've changed I, the running order? I don't know. I, I, I almost think that this is deliberate, that uh, there's something in the storyline that's uh, going to culminate in something in next week's episode. I could be wrong. I don't know. But of course, Dark mentions he met him at the first wedding from before, but 
well, I, I know you know they, they, they talked about she's ten years old, and then this episode seemed to last two years, nearly a year, eighteen months. Um, was it that long? I thought it was about a year. Well, they went three hundred sixty odd days, and then, and then think, anyway, yeah. But anyway, it's your turn. Take the floor. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I, I I do want to say that I thought there was one plot hole in this uh, that hasn't been brought up yet, and that is the amount of time it took for uh, the doctor to use the cubes to resuscitate everyone. Brain damage starts at four minutes, and there was a lot longer time than four minutes uh, to get to the controls and make the cubes, you know, bring everyone back to life or you know, restart their hearts. Jeff, that was my problem with it. Not oh, did you mention that? No, Ken? but that was the thing that, un- unlike Christmas Invasion, where it was blood control and everyone was stopped, if it was right, if everyone was in the midst of having heart malfunction or a heart attack, and the doctor had undid the damage right before it started, I would have had no problem. But everyone had a heart attack, and there's oxygen, and I mean you're having almost like dead people there being, yeah, you know, brought back, and so. I would say there was at least eight, maybe ten minutes between the time that yeah. that all started and when the doctor... It was, it was the extent of it. That was my problem. Although, but overall, that was small compared to all the wonderful things in it. Oh, but, I agree. But that, that was, my, that was my, my bit of niggling with it. If it was a little, a little more jury-rigging or something else to undo it, but it was just like zap. The doctor bring uh, getting uh, back by uh, that method I can see, but all around the world that working, you know, um, it, it it was almost too magical a thing, you know. And and I know um, we've had quick fixes before, and I could go with it. This was like so harsh. So. Yeah, I, I, here's, the, here's the thing, though. You don't know the method by which the um, oh god, the Chakri um, actually suspended heart function. You don't know how they did it. It's it's completely magical and mystical. Therefore, we don't know what the power of the boxes are. We never figured out what the power of the boxes was. The news, the news, news said they were dead. The news said they were dead, though. The news didn't say people are having heart attacks I, I riding that, around. There's no dead. reason that we. Yeah, but there's no reason that we can't assume that reanimation of dead tissue is entirely possible with these boxes. I mean, yes, you can throw uh, out. Right. The, you know, you can throw out the fact that it doesn't make sense from our perspective, but nothing makes sense about it. It was never explained. You know, going into the problem or coming out of the problem. What was used to cause the problem? So, you know, it's basically one magic wand wiping away another magic wand. So, what's the harm? What's the foul? You can't right, apply well, the, the normal rules of logic to the, the script because we weren't given anything to work with. Well, you had a very short episode, 41 minutes, and you would think that if the doctor could wave his uh, 
sonic screwdriver at the controls and reversed the, the problem that he would understand then how they worked and he could explain it uh, how he could you know bring the people back after such a long period of time uh, well if it, if it helps you it, the, the script does sort of cover that because Roy and, and Amy come up with a solution what we're going to need is mass defibrillation and then the doctor says no, I'm going to do something better than that. I'm going to use the cubes. So it's not just that he, you know, shocks everybody back into life, which I agree would leave people with brain damage and really wouldn't be practical. The doctor sa- says, at least, he's going to do something more than, than just defibrillation. So we don't know what that is because we don't know what the boxes can do. But he, he was going to do something more than a normal medical process. I, I guess I just would like a little more explanation than that. I mean, they certainly yeah. had the time. It was probably the shortest episode since the show's come back, at least in running time. Yeah. Uh, so, so so much of a wonderful setup wanted a little more payoff, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't want to be too harsh on this story. It was it was brilliant. It was uh, beautiful to watch. It it. Uh, I'm going to agree with some of the other people that have already uh, spoken. It felt, in some ways, very much like an RTD story, and and I say that in a good way. Um, You had wonderful character moments, uh, and characters speaking with each other, and character development, and. It, it was it was just wonderful, something we haven't seen a lot in the Moffat era. So I was very, very happy to see that. I think the last time we saw that was the Doctor's wife, uh, with the Doctor and the, the TARDIS, uh, Idris. And uh, so that, that was just great to see. And um, also you had Unit coming back, and they, I think, were properly used in this story. Uh, it was good to see the Brigadier's daughter in this, and... Um, again, in, in some ways, it felt like a classic series episode. So again, it it uh, it was just wonderful to see all these um, references to the past, and I hope we see more of it. Uh, if I, I I I agree with a lot of what people said, and I'm going to give this a 4.0 out of five on the TARDIS groans rating. Okay, all right. Thank you very much indeed for that. We're, uh, Thank you. I'm sure. I'm sure Ian will ask those who didn't put in their rating uh, at the end if you're still here, and those people in text, of course, can put their ratings in uh, at any point. Uh, before we go to Tim, let's play another little clip. This is the latest. Oh dear. This is recent. The Pentagon, China, every African nation, the Middle East. I've got government screaming for explanations and no idea what to tell them. I'm, I'm lost, Doctor. We all are. Don't despair, Kate. Your dad never did. Have I played that one already? I don't know. Do you mean no? No. You're supposed to be listening, matey. Yeah. Sorry, what? Well, I'm, I'm going to move to the next clip because I, th- I think I played that before. Doctor, please, you don't have to do this. She's right. You don't have to be in there. We can do this remotely. Remotely isn't my style. You are, sir. 
Well, what's in there? There is nothing in here. There's CCTV feeds from across the world. People are dying. What, they can't be dying? How? How are they dying? From the next... Stop, careful The heart, an organ powered by electrical current. Short-circuited. How to destroy a human? Go for the heart. Ow! Seven stations, seven minutes. Why is that important? <laughs> How many deaths have been recorded? We don't know. We think it could be a third of the population. I need to locate the wormhole portal. Uh, all right. Desperate measures. What? Back in the game. Oh, portal to another dimension and a goods list. Where are we? We're in orbit. One dimension to the left. It's not possible. I thought the Shakri were a myth. The Shakri exist in all of time and none. We travel alone and together. But why? Serving the word of the talent. Why the cubes? Why Earth? Not Earth. Humanity. The Shakri will halt the human plague before the spread. Erase humanity before it colonizes space. I don't know anybody else who thought, the the way that man was doing the voice, I thought of the robo out of Logan's run. <laughs> uh, but there you go. That's just me. Uh, let's go to Tim. Well... Troll would come in this late in the show. There's not much more to add. <laughs> well, someone has to do. Yeah. It. I'm sorry, Tim. I'll, I'll 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 be as I'll be as brief as possible then. Really, um, probably the best episode since Asylum of the Daleks for me, because um, as as I've said on Twitter, I've been not really coming on for the past couple of weeks because I've been watching Doctor and going, it's all right, <laughs> not really inspiring enough to come on and hold court on even for five minutes about but um this this week it was it was it was from chris chibnall again and it was as if he'd been handed a similar brief to dinosaurs on a spaceship and that Stephen moffat had gone to him and said yeah we like that that dinosaur script it was it was a romp it was just what we asked well, can you do a similar thing in a more kind of ponds type thing and that was it was good to have an episode about the ponds and not entirely sure whether they pulled off see I've lost track of whether they've simply been hanging out with the doctor for 10 years or yeah have they actually are they actually 10 years older because I don't know if they pulled off making them look 10 years older but um I should quickly pull up uh, um, mention something that's come up in chat before I forget and that's that um uh there's a reference in this story to uh K nine and the doctor said about having a an electronic dog that could float. And those of us that have been watching the Australian K nine series go, Oh, so that that means the Australian K nine's canon now. Because the Australian K nine can fly and float and K nine in Doctor Who's never been seen to do that. You know, Tim, I don't think that's necessarily the way I took the scene. What I took it to mean is that the original canine could float. And that's what Bob Baker has said in interviews all along, is that the 
the, the original brief of the dog was that he was supposed to be able to float, but they never had the ability to make it happen in the old days. Uh, so I, I just took uh, it to mean that it, it makes sense that when K-9 regenerates at the beginning of the K-9 series, that he can fly because he could fly as the, you know, K-9 Mark One. Oh, fair enough. I didn't realize that. Not not seen those those interviews myself. But yeah, yeah, this was a a fun episode. It was great to see Mark Williams back as as Brian. And as I said on my own brief review of my own podcast, it's a, another fine example of a great character being created, and we're not quite getting enough of them. Um, I think he's probably been better served than than Bernard Cribbins. Who um, it would it would have been nice to have have um, as a as a as a more constant presence, uh, but um, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if that's the last episode Brian's in. I don't know about next week, so that's not spoiling anything. Right. <laughs> that's pure speculation. But it did it, it, yeah. Um, so no, yeah, the 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 idea with this one, it it was. It was great to, like most of these episodes, I've not known any spoilers. Not, not much as I look at things on on the internet, I tend to look at the photographs of what's going on, and I might find out who the guest star is, but I don't really look into any dialogue or any bits of plot that have leaked. And so, yeah, it was it was good to have a an episode that when the trailers ran for it, people were watching, going, "Hmm, that's a bit of an odd one." It's nice to have something slightly perplexing happen in Doctor Who, like all these cubes appear, and it, it it fired off my imagination in ways that I don't know if it's fired off the BBC's imagination yet. And uh, yesterday evening, I was thinking, oh, they should make like bedside night lights or digital clocks shaped like these cubes with that really cool font on. And then this evening, I suddenly thought, no. Much better idea. They can be egg timers. Because you can put, you can have some buttons tucked away on one of those sides. Set it to if you want a, a harder boiled egg, four minutes or five minutes. Uh, if you want a softer boiled egg, three minutes, and then it could count down in that really cool font on the screen on one side. But there you go, BBC, get on that. <laughs> it's, only, it's only a couple of months to Christmas. You might be able to get some in the shops yet. Yeah? But yeah, yeah, it's, um, ah, eggs, eggs, <laughs> exterminate. Had to say it. <laughs> Had to well, be said. There's eggs running throughout this uh, this this series. So. The, the the egg agenda. Egg reference in each episode. The egg agenda. Um, has has the light agenda f- continued this week? Because for the there's first no few episodes, about lights to this one. Yeah, this... so that, that that that's that's kind of disproving that it was ever there. I think. And we'll have to um, uh, default to uh, Mike there. He's keeping track of all the agendas. Uh, Is there a agenda? So I, can't, I can't remember what the discussion was. Was about. Oh, the discussion was about something else on Facebook last night because people were posting screenshots of the the opening titles yeah. uh, over the, on lights the went down. group. Mike's and, 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 the lights and, went out in the base. Ah. Uh, uh, there's probably nothing to it. Because as I said in the discussion about colours in the title sequence, it, I, I often default to the words of the Eighth Doctor in the TV movie, I love humans always seeing patterns in things that aren't there. <laughs> or, or, or my much shorter version of this, 
I often think when listening to podcasts, it is possible to overanalyze things. But that's what we but, do well. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and just in a quick reference to the to the title sequence, um, Jeff has actually put some wonderful pictures on there of comparisons to each of the uh, title sequences, um, all the way up to this one. So uh, if you want to go check that out on uh, the Colton Facebook page, it's right there. Yeah, it's 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 the, the the titles are almost a reason to if you haven't got HD yourself, go round a friend and try and see Doctor Who in HD, if only for the because the the, the 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 what the the fiddly little things they've done with the the words Doctor Who don't seem to show up as clearly on standard def, and they they're almost for the benefit of HD viewers. But um, there's not much more to add on this one, other than um, some of us are going to have the hankies out next week. Probably not me, but <laughs> not that I dislike the ponds. I actually do rather like them, and fairly equally. Uh, but it will be a shame to see them go, and it'd be a, a, a larger shame to not have any Doctor Who to watch for, uh, where are we, October, November, and most of December. Mm. Looks at pile of Blu-rays. <laughs> I'll start watching Fringe and Sarah Jane Adventures again, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's not much more to add than that. Yeah, good, good, and, 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 um, and a rating, probably four out of five, really. Okay. Thanks very much indeed. Um, rather than play a clip now, we'll go to Perry because uh, Perry's not sure how long, uh, much longer he can stay on the call. So um, we'll go straight to you, Perry, if we may, and then I'll play the final clip uh, other than the actual um, trailer for next week, which I'm sure Ian will play right at the end. Sure. So, Perry, thanks, Tim. Yeah, I have to agree with um, most of what's been said. Um, I thought this was the best episode of Series 7 uh, so far. certainly had the most character development. It finally gave a story where you understood the relationship between Amy and Rory, or at least got to see it. Um, and it was believable uh, that they would be together. And I and, and, uh, enjoyed seeing the glimpse into their real lives. I don't know if I bought the fact that Amy would be a travel journalist um, but you know, but that was okay. But but I liked seeing Rory um, in his place of work and doing what he did. Uh, I enjoyed a lot of things about this episode. Um, the mention of the Zygons. I don't think I don't know if anybody's mentioned that in audio yet. I dropped out for a bit, so maybe Jeff. No, it wasn't. It's not been. I don't think it's been mentioned in audio. No. Yeah. So there was a reference to the Zygons. Um, you know, he took them back in time. Um, for an anniversary present, so they could spend some time in the uh, the Savoy Hotel. And um, turns out that half of the staff were um, um, Zygon. Um, what, what did he say? I, I forget what he said. Zygon duplicates or Zygon agents? Yeah, I think so. Imposters. Uh, Imposters. Yeah. So a little reference to uh, Arrow the Zygon. Uh, Would have been nice to see a Zygon someday, but okay. There was also a mention of Henry the Eighth. Um, they went back after that. They went to apparently to Henry VIII's time, and and Amy accidentally got in or accepted a wedding um, wedding proposal from Henry VIII. Uh, just little little blips in their their quick little trip that they took, the seven week trip that they took on their anniversary. Uh, I thought that was funny. Um, I 
I agree a little bit with Ken about the sort of the the how quickly the resolution came at the end, and it may not be because it wasn't believable or logically acceptable. Like Darth says, I, I think that it it is believable and logically acceptable. Uh, it's just that it was so quick <laughs> that the, that the shockery seemed very interesting. Um, this this holographic image of this person who reminded me of of Darth Vader or Darth Sidious, uh, and, you know, from Return of the Jedi, and you know, had a very interesting story, very interesting uh, idea that that these that these shockery were um, like like Grimm's fairy tales, you know, meant to keep Gallifreyan children in their place, you know, keep them from uh, from from wandering off and or, or something like that, or keeping them scared so they wouldn't get in trouble. I was a bit annoyed and, with that uh, because I thought it was the troglophane that did that. Yeah, well, I'll, we have more than one of those in, in our fairy tales. Uh-huh. So I guess they uh-huh. have more than one as well. But the doctor recognized him right away, you know, as what it was, as the shockery. And um, and I kind of buy the ending because really these shockery ships, I guess, were automated. I don't know. The doctor said he wasn't really here. He never was really here. So he, he you know, just kind of automatically went over to the console and started messing with it. And so I kind of sort of buy that, that he could do that. Um, and he could do it as quickly as he did. Because, you know, we've seen this before in Doctor Who. I don't know. I think the action of the sonic screwdriver in reprogramming computers and things like that, I I tend to be kind of annoyed with. Um, It's almost like the sonic screwdriver is a little bit psychic or something like that. I don't know if they ever said that in the series, but it almost acts like it is, you know, (laughs) like whatever he's doing, he's sort of telling the sonic screwdriver what to do, you know, and and it does it. Especially in Let's Go Hitler. I, I thought he said something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that's how Amy operates it, because the whole thing is she needs to have something to think about in order to make it work. That's right. But that's, that's the first time that's ever been said, so that's relatively new to the mythos. Yeah, yeah. But that that kind of thing sort of annoys me, like it's a magic wand, like you said. He waves it around and things happen. Whatever he wants to happen, happens. Um, but it'd be nice to actually see him pushing buttons you know, on a computer console or something like that instead of using the sonic screwdriver. I got a little excited because when he shows up in the hospital, you know, with one of his hearts not working, he he pulls out the sonic screwdriver, and it, al- it almost seemed to me like the sonic screwdriver was about to stop working, and I thought that would have been interesting, but instead it's just picking up the signal from the um, the, the little android agent, the little girl, um, who, he, who he then shut down and then just sort of, he says something like, if I shut her down, then something, and then, then, you know, he has like a little heart attack or something and never finishes that sentence. So it doesn't really say what shutting her down is going to accomplish. But presumably it's something to do with the the um, signal to the cubes. Um, Harry, if I, if I could jump in uh-huh. just for a second. I thought it was rather convenient in the story that one of the seven places that all this was happening was at the hospital that Rory wor- works at. Well, yeah, of course it was convenient. I, I think in Doctor Who, it's all, always convenient that the aliens invade London all the time, and awfully convenient that whatever is happening is happening right around London. Good but point. We do the same thing in the U.S. I mean, well, was everybody it in the, New York. Was it Prisoner Zero in the uh, the hospital that Rory worked at? Yeah, that was the one in um, in 
a lead work. Eleventh hour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's awfully convenient. Well, that. Yeah, that's awfully convenient. I guess that wasn't I mean, I mean, because that's where the crack was. Yeah. And actually, you could say, well, if unit could follow the prime energy, then yeah, surely so with these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So. But why exactly the hospital? That's another matter. It should well, have logically, I guess. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I mean, it just based on what sort of happened on that spaceship, it looks like they needed, you know, some human bodies to study. But I guess they wouldn't have to get those at a hospital. That's true. It's a convenient place to get them. And, and yeah, so what was the deal with the um, with the with the guys at the hospital with the cubes in their mouth? Cubes in the mouth, yeah. Mouth. Yeah, they never actually did anything. You know, there was never any, ever any explanation for that. Just the fact that it made them look creepy, and they could cover them up with the. Uh, They're the slaves. What's that? They're the slaves. What you distorted on that? Okay, the of the episode. The pig slaves. I think you're saying. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what's going on there. But yeah, that's better. Just a creepy looking monster, just like the pig slaves yeah. or the rubber man or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was expecting more people to start turning into that sort of thing. I, I, but I wasn't sure what to expect. They just kind of appeared and did some things and then left. But I yeah, that would have been a of... little, a, a little bit too like the empty child if they started doing that, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. What yeah. hospitals and they suddenly started having cubes pop out of their mouths. Oh yeah, this one made me think of a lot of episodes from RTD, like Army of Ghosts and Christmas Invasion, like we said, and um, and, and that one as well. Yeah, The Empty Child. Yeah, but no, I thought it was a really good episode. I was really happy with it. Um, I enjoyed, you know, seeing the Shakri character. I wish we had seen more of it, more of um, the Shakri and and more with them, but um, but unfortunately we didn't. And even my wife said, that can't be the ending, can it? You know, because it just kind of finished. Um, but like Darth said, most of the story really was about something else. It was it was about the relationship. Um, and, and I enjoyed all that very much. So, so I'd have to um, give this one about a four out of five as well. So, okay. Very enjoyable one. Good, good. Right, well, I've got one more main clip from the story, and then, uh, if it's okay with Ian, I'll go next, because uh, okay. of time pressures, and then I'll leave Ian to play the the next week's clip with uh, a warning right at the end. Gonna, Here we go. You're going to be good for time, though. So. Yeah, okay. Here we go. Here you are, depositing slug pellets all over the earth, made attractive so humans will collect them, hoping to find something beautiful inside because that's what they are not pests or plague creatures of hope you want to tally put their achievements against their failings through the whole of time it's going to release more cubes to kill more people you're too late doctor the tally shall be met he's gone he was never really here just the ship's automated interface like a talking propaganda poster. I can stop the second wave. I can disconnect all the shackled craft from their portals, leave them drifting in the dark space. Ah, but all those people who were near the cube, so many of them will have died. To turn people's hearts off. 
Bingo! We're going to use them to turn them back on again. Don't let me down, Cubes. You're working for me now. Run. I'm going to miss this. Emergency hospitals and field units are working at full capacity around the world as millions of survivors of cardiac arrests are nursed back to health. You, uh, you really are as remarkable as Dad said. I'd better get going. Things to do. Worlds to change, things to swing on. No, I know. You both have lives here, beautiful, messy lives. You don't want to give them up. Actually, it's you they can't give up, Doctor. No, I don't think they should. Go with him. Go save every world you can find. Who else has that chance? Just bring them back safe. So, that was the year of the slow invasion, when the Earth got cubed and the Doctor came to stay. It was also when we realized something that Shaku never understood. What cubed actually means. The power of three. Okay, um... Well, I, I'm going to be a bit of a dissenting voice because uh, I had the same reaction and I think probably it's going to pan out in the same way as it did with last week's episode. I'm afraid I was mostly bored watching it because I, 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 presumably uh, I was watching the wrong thing. I was watching for a story and a plot. I got quite excited when we suddenly saw a spaceship outside Earth and I thought, oh, it's going to take off at last. Uh, and, of course, it was all really, uh, we're taking a, a very long goodbye to the ponds. And I think probably one of the other reasons why I didn't enjoy it is because, although I've enjoyed the, the, the series, I've enjoyed Rory uh, more so than Amy, basically, I, uh, mentally, I've already moved out from them, um, especially with having um, the surprise uh, sighting of them the, well, at least the actress who's going to play the new companion. Um, I, I, I mean, I thought they were done and dusted, the ponds. Uh, for me, it would have been better if they weren't here at all. But I wondered there, and this is, not again, not a spoiler, but I'm wondering why the Doctor said at the end, worlds to see, swings to ride. I'm wondering whether that's uh, we're going to go and see, um, uh, you know, we're going to go back to the beginning again and, uh, you know, Amelia's garden and so on. Um, uh, because it was ne it's never been explained to me correctly from right at the beginning when Matt Smith's flying over London towards Big Ben and suddenly his, uh, uh, the TARDIS takes a sudden sideways wrench to land in her garden and it all starts off. Um, there was lots of nice little bits, but again, I think there was too much comedy for me. And the, my reasoning behind that is that usually in past series, we've had one episode that's been like the light-hearted episode before things have got dark and difficult and terrible and so on. Uh, maybe that is what's going to happen in the next episode. Maybe the ponds are going to be killed off and not just get on with their lives. I don't know. But the point is that... Um, the, I mean, the dinosaurs one, although I didn't particularly like it when I watched it, I, I, I found I appreciated it more as a one-off episode. I think it was those uh, robots that I had a bit of difficulty with and their voices, but um, they seemed a little bit more suitable for Sarah Jane Adventures than Doctor Who for me. But so with this episode, 
um, you know, the maniacal doctor and the um, the, the other things. Um, I've got a feeling, again, with studying the audio as I do on a Sunday, it will be the same as last week's episode, that on second viewing and third viewing, I'll find more and more to like about it. But in actual, ta- in actual fact, on the Saturday night, watching it in front of the telly, it never really ignited as a story, and that resolution to me was so swift. It was nice seeing Brian Cox there. Alan Sugar made a brief appearance. Two newsreaders, I can never remember the, the man's voice because it's one of these difficult ones to pronounce, but Sophie Rayworth is also a, a BBC uh, newsreader who was there. Um, there were lots of little nice things, but again, I, I like Perry was, what, how come two of them had the cube in the mouth, ma- you know, the mouths, I mean... Uh, uh, that I think that was just done for publicity shots or just for, you know, the freakiness value. I think one final thing, and I'm not going to talk a long time, is that I was really looking forward to this episode. The actual title of it, I didn't look at any spoilers, but the actual title of it really intrigued me. And I thought, uh, and I did see one little trailer for it, and I thought, this really is going to be good. Um, I suppose it's the same feeling I had when we went back to the old Adipoise one, and I, I thought that Adipoise, I thought they're having a April Fool's joke on us. I thought those are so blooming silly that that, that that's not really going to be the story. It's that's just silly. Um, with this one, it wasn't a question that the story was silly. I just don't feel as though, like, well, Darth says, the story wasn't the story, really. It was just the backdrop against which all this time... And I, I, and I do take a lot on what uh, Jeff says. I've got a feeling that um, uh, we had Rory saying he was 31 or something in a previous episode, and we had the fact that um, before these... Uh, uh, towards the beginning, she said that they've, they've spent 10 years, but there's a whole year that's gone by on this. So again, I'm not quite sure of the timeline. Are we now in present day? Have we been, uh, was last week's, the, when they were picked up, because they, they said they'd been like 10 months apart there. Uh, it's as though we've, we've caught three years up in three episodes to 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 bring the timelines uh, together. I don't know, that was a bit unsatisfying to me, but I think the whole point is that, that mentally I've moved on from the ponds and it seems to be taking three episodes to um, to do stuff that, again, some people have said, some of this stuff, Ken said it and Darth, even though they both like the episode, some of this stuff could have been peppered in earlier episodes and then we may have been able to, you know... Um, have a quicker resolution to this, what seems to me a rather long drawn out weaning us off the ponds. So sorry to be a slightly dissenting from the rest of them, but um, no doubt by the time I've watched it again and maybe even done a cult of commentary on it, uh, I will be seeing a lot more in it. There's certainly an awful lot more in the dialogue in any one Doctor Who episode than you can take in on the first uh, viewing, I think. But for for the actual enjoyment on the Saturday night, um, it left me a bit cold, I'm afraid. So just as well that Ian, I think, might have a better opinion of it. 
And if I'm not mistaken, there's only the uh, the trailer for next week left to play, correct? Yep, with a warning to go with it. Ready, 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 ready. All right. Um, well, hopefully you'll stick with us until I think we've only got, we've got uh, 15 minutes before you have to leave, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll stay for a few more minutes and then drop yeah. out for a quick break. Yeah. All right. Um, I actually like this episode. Um, uh, got to the end of it and I said, I like that. Um, I don't know if my wife was as impressed, but I found myself doing something that pro- I probably should have done from the start is to kind of switch off um, some of my critical faculties. Not that I didn't see some problems, but I, there was enough in here for me to like that I just kind of focused in on that. Um, and I was talking with, uh, we were chatting with Perry on Facebook after, and uh, and one of the realizations, and I've seen it online since, is um, there was a lot of RTD in there, and you know, Darth mentioned it's very, very similar to uh, the Christmas Invasion, which, you know, it is really when you look at it. Um, I just really like this. Yeah, I agree with a lot of the problems. Uh, you have to read a lot into, you know, how their heart started again and kind of think on that. But again, it's, you know, here, here I am telling, basically telling people the stuff that people were trying to tell me uh, for the first couple of episodes. Um, you just don't, you know, just say, oh, well, yeah, the resolution wasn't great. But again, like I said, that, that's, that's, I don't really think that's what the story was about. It was kind of, the, the invasion was a backdrop um, to, to everything and it wasn't the most important thing. I absolutely, and I had no knowledge of um, uh, Kate Stewart, Kate uh, Lethbridge Stewart, um, to be completely honest. Um, hadn't seen any of those uh, um, videos. Um, bye, Perry. Have fun. Uh, I hadn't got to see any of those, and so I was blissfully unaware um, that there was a daughter. Um, if I did know it, at any point, I'd probably long since forgotten, but fantastic. Uh, just, I don't know, I just I just got all kind of gooey that she was there. And and the funny thing is, watching it back again today, there, where, where she comes in uh, to the pond's kitchen and she starts telling the doctor all the tests that they've run, I just couldn't help thinking that those are, those are brigadier lines. You know, well, I'll keep, you know, bring you up to speed, Doctor. This is what we've done. Da, 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 da. Um, I'm sure there's a, a you know, Lethbridge Stewart moment or two where he's he's done that. You know, I've, I've read a lot of the things that they've attempted to do, and you know, um, but I just found just knowing the fact that she was, you know, his daughter, just looking at her and going, yeah, there's, you know, I'm just looking at doing, and going, yeah, that's that's, yeah, she's the brigadier's daughter. That's fantastic, and I hope that. This is not the last we see of her. Um, you know, I've been very, very hard on the on the Moffat era, but if, if there's one thing, um, bring back Kate Stewart, uh, please. Um, I just loved her inclusion, loved Unit's inclusion, as brief as it was. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was it was it got off to a great start, and and, and it plowed through really. It kind of uh, moved along there. And the thing I find completely and utterly mind-boggling, and I hadn't thought of it until everybody started talking, was the fact that last week's episode took place in the middle of this week's episode, which is just freaking me out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just bizarre. Um, so, so what? Do I have to pause in the middle of this episode now and then watch uh, last week's episode and then continue on? I guess. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, there was just so much like. I really liked it. I don't know if it was because it was a lot like some of the setups we've had from, from uh, RTD's era, which I'm a big fan of and not ashamed of, and everybody's got their own era. Um, uh, God, I'm trying to think of what else to say. Yeah, the resolution wasn't much, but in the in the uh, in the scheme of things, I enjoyed an episode. Way <laughs> I, I was I was even talking to to, to Mike briefly on Skype after I said, I said, did we just enjoy an episode of the seventh season? He says, yes, we did. I'm like, <laughs> bravo. Um, yeah, uh, there was I had other points, I'm sure. Uh, Oh, Darth had mentioned earlier, and I was, it, it was great that uh, I was the only one who saw this. Um, I, although I saw it at a different point, where Darth mentioned that, uh, uh, that Matt looked so completely old in, in, in certain points of this, and that the scene where he's sitting, where they go out for a breath of fresh air um, from the secret unit base, and they're sitting on that wall by the, the water, and um, there's just times there he just looks so very old and I guess that's one of the reasons why that you know and I've heard it said you know by others too that Matt gives this appearance at times of being you know ancient which is is, is a fabulous thing and, and that's where he did plus there was there are parts of this that I got a definite kind of uh, Pertwee Third Doctor vibe off of them I don't know why or how or you know I'm just a fan reading things and you know that's what I do um, the only thing I really kind of, I guess I hated was the, um, the voiceover that we get from, from Amy. Not so much in the beginning, but the end. I just thought it was, it, that whole power of three bit at the end just kind of was a bit cheesy. Um, would have liked to have just seen that, you know, the, the, the smile from, from Brian and, and then getting in the TARDIS and that would have been fantastic. Uh, that would have been enough, um. Oh, and uh, I do have to say that, um, well, Brickbat in the book, okay. Brickbat of, of um, why did we not have, you know, like I said, Brian Williams much, much earlier. Uh, fantastic. Uh, Mark Williams is just, uh, just loving the bits. And he basically stole the end of the show again, just like dinosaurs on the spaceship. That little speech there just, no, it's you, they can't give up. Now off you go. Just, oh, I love him. <laughs> It was well. I'm just gushing all over this episode, aren't I, folks? <laughs> it's about time. Yay! <laughs> exactly. Bravo. It's about time. <laughs> it was. I, it was. I did switch off a lot of stuff just because. And I, and I think what really got me off onto a good start was um, was Kate. Kate Stewart just wandered in there, and I'm just like, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Then. Then that bit, that, you know, where he says, oh, you know, when he starts talking about her dad, and it's just like, oh, yes. <laughs> it just, you know, maybe go all gooey, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to, I'll probably rip on it a bit more during the uh, commentary when I've kind of calmed down a little. <laughs> um, but I'm as good as a scroll girl right now. But, uh, yeah, that's it's fantastic uh, that we've got such a good episode. And, yeah, I'm happy. There you go. Um, I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. There you go. Um, the other fives just for the uh, just for the uh, 
the, the resolution. The, no, the, well, the resolution a bit, and 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 the the voiceover at the end, oh, especially that oh, they didn't realize about the power of three. Oh. Uh, me, guys. <laughs> it's like, you know. I mean, if she said they weren't counting on us, that would have been better, you know. Understate that bit. Understate it. But yeah, that's me. That's 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 my review, and that's that's all of our reviews. But hey, finished in record time there, Dave. So yeah, what yeah. If people actually like something. <laughs> shorter, shorter episodes when it's when it's a good one. <laughs> so got some ratings to read out for us, please. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, ratings are in the text chat. Uh, if you haven't put yours in, put it in now. And let me, inter- let me uh-huh. interject. Uh, I have to uh-huh. raise my mm-hmm. rating after really thinking okay. uh, criticisms. Let me bump it up to four and a half. It's so good. Oh, there you There's go. so much I like. And little plot quibbles aside, my heart's in this episode. So bump it up to four and a half. There you go. Excellent. All right, reading out the... Oh, uh, Kendar, did you give a rating? Uh, no, I'm not... Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not really much of a rating kind of guy. Um, oh, go on. I like I liked it, so... So, so that's why it says it's up to five or something? Yeah, out of five. Uh, well, then let's go, let's say a four, because I, I did like it, but I don't know that it's the best one they had. Excellent. Thank you. All right, reading out the text chat ones, finally. Cybob gives it a 3 out of 5. Randall Thor, who you'll hear more from later on the Colton Collective commentary, uh, gives it a 4 out of 5. Uh, Dave AC gives it a... Uh-oh, that's down to 0. The queue's going to open. <laughs> uh, Dave gives it a 2.5. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, Mike says four, cu- uh, four cubes browsing the internet out of five. <laughs> Seven Salsa gives it a four out of five. Uh, Benjamin Elliott, four out of five. Uh, Brummy Tunnel, four out of five. Uh, Benjamin Elliott gives it one cube out of five for the BBC America's broadcast of the episode. So, bleh. bad, bad BBC America. Bad. Thank you for bringing it to the show, but uh, bringing it to the U.S., but bad, bad. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to finish on a low note now, Dave. Brummy Time Lord, did you do? Yes, I did. Uh, no, uh, oh. there was the uh, the news about Janet Fielding, which I'll, I'll just uh, briefly mention. Uh, earlier this week, we found out um, that uh, Janet Fielding is um, battling cancer, and... Um, she had a project underway um, called Project uh, Motorhouse, which uh, she was. Oh, I had that. I had that page up. Uh, basically, she was uh, trying to uh, refurbish uh, this old motor museum uh, in order to make it accessible to, to young people in the area and to turn it into something uh, really great for the community. Um, but it's had to kind of uh, step back uh, from it. Um, because of uh, her, her battle with cancer. Now, the wonderful thing that happened is um, that the doctors rallied together um, to, uh, to to raise money for uh, Project Motorhouse. Um, uh, uh, David Tennant, uh, Sebastian McCoy, Colin Baker, Paul McGann, um, 
and and Peter Davison Peter Davison actually got everyone together and said, okay, let's let's do this. Um, the statement was uh, released that Janet Fielding has a new fight on her hands, uh, not against the Daleks or Cybermen, but against cancer. Peter Davison has uh, swung into action and enlisted the help of his fellow doctors to launch Project Motormouth. Uh, would not only raise money for a good cause, but also help keep Janet's spirits up. Um, you can uh, look into both of these things. Um, the links are actually on the uh, Cultum uh, page on Facebook, thanks to Jeff, the Seventh Doctor. Uh, unfortunately, um, because of the lateness of our show, uh, the event is actually sold out, which is fantastic, really. Um, uh, but if you look up uh, Project uh, Motorhouse, um, you will see a, a video there uh, by Janet. Um, which she made back in 2011. Uh, I guess the, fan, the fantastic thing is, is now bringing this to people's attention, you know, uh, across the world, really, to, uh, um, to 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 help raise money for this. So hopefully this will make her project um, and her dreams come true um, while she um, battles with with cancer. So. Um, yeah, so hated to finish it on a, a kind of a low note. It's not a terribly low note because she's still with us and she's fighting and uh, with the help of everybody else, uh, you know, hopefully we'll give her the strength to, to, to get through this and, and uh, to emerge victorious. So, yeah, um, the links, are, of course, are on uh, in, in the text chat here. Uh, projectmotorhouse.org is basically uh, where you can find that. And, uh, yeah, also on the uh, our Facebook page. All right. Um, now I guess I have to give a spoiler warning. Uh, we're about to play the clip from next week's episode. So uh, if you do not wish to hear it, um, the clip is 41 seconds long. So uh, cover your ears for the next uh, 41 seconds, and uh, we'll let everybody in the text chat know that it's safe to come out from under their headphones. And uh, yeah, Dave, we'll just say our goodbyes now. And uh, yeah, until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. Here's the trailer. You don't believe that statues can move. <laughs> and you're right, they can't. When you're looking... New York, it's policed by angels. Every time you try to escape, you get zapped back in time. The city that never sleeps. The angels will come. And I think they're coming for you. Placing someone back in time creates time energy. And that is what the angels feed on. What the hell are you doing? Any ideas? Run. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.